This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back this week to another episode of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. This is your faithful American Muslim patriot coming to you weekly to bridge that divide, that chasm between the Islamic world of Islamism, of political Islam, the Islamic State identity, and the West, the land of freedom, liberty, and universal human rights. Every week, you and I come together to find those issues that are defining, that allow us to to put the fire under the feet of Muslims that need to work harder for reform, to awaken Americans to the threats that befall us and for which mostly we've been asleep. And now after the dust has settled, America is and the world is beginning to get used to the fact that we're going to have to face and deal with a President Trump and that the end of the Clinton era has been brought quickly and much more hastily to an end that anyone ever predicted and that there's a lot of change that's going to happen where we don't know it's only been a few days it's very early people are in a rush to find out who the cabinet's going to be who advisors how the thousands of jobs that are going to be filled we don't know but you know in this fallout one would think that with the decimation the decimation politically that the left suffered with loss of now all three branches of government with um, well the House, the Congress I'm sorry, the, the House, the Senate and the White House the Supreme Court being divided and they are going to lose the majority that they might have been able to gain after a long time with a conservative majority in the Supreme Court thankfully. But we also see that the majority, the vast majority of the state governorships, the state legislatures are at the lowest numbers of Democrats than long time before. And yet the old Democratic Party platform talks about minority rights, talks about defending the the, the common man, yet that narrative seems to have been lost. What I want to talk to you about this week if we can step aside from the political hand-wringing from the left versus right, I want to focus with you on this this concept of identity politic. And there's no greater evidence that the left did not learn its lessons of last week than the fact that now the name that's being bantied about as Donna Brazil will need to step down as Democratic National Committee chair. The name that's being bantied about is Congressman Keith Ellison. The face, the face of American Islamism, the face of American political Islam, Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups, and especially the face now that might become the face of the left's identity politic. It seems that 
as John Podoritz said on Twitter or somewhere on social media this week, he said, they seem to be embracing their inner radicalism. Now, you know, listen, it's easy for anyone to say, oh, once he's criticized Keith Ellison, oh, it must be anti-Muslim. This is an Islamophobe. Well, that's the narrative that they want you to believe. But I have a long history with Mr. Ellison. And I think before you start using the talking po- talking points from Huffington Post, which were fed to them by the Council on American Islamist Radicalization, CARE, I'm sorry, it's American Islamic Relations, but it is truly Islamist radicalization, which Ellison has a very tight relationship with. But no one, no one can review Ellison's positions, his statements, his defenses of OIC countries, his defenses of Saudi Arabia, the Muslim American Society, on and on. And I'm going to spend some time with you exposing today who Keith Ellison is, because this man is now due to become the face of the Democratic Party. Congratulations, if he wins it. Sort of being handed to him since he was Bernie Sanders' man. Bernie Sanders now has a large movement that appears to be trying to wrest control of the Democratic Party as the establishment was handed a major loss as Clinton lost. So therefore, Sanders has a much stronger hand. And he wants to push forth his longtime pro-Islamist, I would argue clearly anti-Israel, pro-Saudi, pro-Qatar, and often pro-many of the Islamist enemies of America. Congressman Ellison, the congressman from Minnesota. But I'll lay out my case for, for all of that in a minute. But make no mistake, his positions are offensive to me as a reformist, as a Muslim, not because he is Muslim, but because I'm an American who cares about the threat of political Islam. Now, I want you to go back, find the archives of the Dennis Prager show, and you'll find a, a hour-long conversation that Dennis and I had. And one of the things we spent some time talking about for a segment or so was whether Congressman Ellison should have been allowed to put his hand on the Koran to get his oath of office, or should it have been the Bible, which was historically the, tr- the tradition of the U.S. Congress. And I believe then, as I do now, that the only book that would have been right for Mr. Ellison would have been the Koran, as it would be for me or for any Muslim who needs to take that oath under God. Yes, as Dennis uh, uh, kindly reminded me, there is a lot of history with the Bible. There is a history of the Judeo-Christian roots of America and that that cannot be denied. And to start replacing it with any book that any member has might change some of that history. But I gave him two reasons. Number one is what's the purpose of that oath? The purpose of that oath is that those of us observing the oath believe that he intends it to be true to his or her God. And if you put your holy book, your scripture, which you believe the word of God, to be the word of God under your hand, then that must be much more believable than it is if you put somebody else's religion's book under there. So it has to do with the veracity, the believability of that oath. Secondly, there's a reason the word Christian is not in the Constitution. Not that America is not a country based in Judeo-Christian values, but they were escaping theocracy. So this city on a hill represents an immigrant population with diverse faiths, one based in religious liberty. Not just Christian liberty, not just Jewish liberty, but all faiths or no faiths liberty. I bring you that story about my debate with Dennis, which we had very respectfully, and he understood my position. 
But I want to hold Keith Ellison to his oath to protect and defend the U.S. Constitution, an oath that he took on our Quran as Muslims. So, when we come back, I want to talk to you about the many concerns I have about Mr. Ellison. And will he become the face of the Democratic Party and what that means about identity politics? What are identity politics and why is Ellison the face of it and soon to become even a greater, more potent advocate for the destruction of, I believe, a lot of the core conservative values that underpin America, that underpin the values that are the only antidote to political Islam? And his identity politic and the identity politic of the Democratic Party are on a collision course to divide this country even more and to render us even more ineffective against political Islam and Islamic theocracies. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. I'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. If this is your first time, please tell your friends that... Hopefully, after you've listened today, you'll find that this is one of the only places you get some truth, honest conversation about the need for Muslims to reform, about the areas of life in America and in the West that we need to reform and take this message globally in order to protect this country, and how we can enable Americans to become advocates for a form of reform, a reform of accountability among Muslims that you can't find anywhere else. We were talking before about this identity politic. I can't tell you enough how many, over the last 15 years since 9-11, how many interactions I have had. I've debated Congressman Ellison. I have tried to engage him respectfully, to which, by the way, he responded by blocking me on Twitter which he has the unique distinction, despite many members of Congress I've been critical of, uh, he has the unique distinction of being the only one to block me. But this is the way folks who believe in blasphemy laws operate. This is the way folks who defend Saudi Arabia on the floor of the House, asking and begging that they continue to get their hundreds of millions, if not billions, in arms, so that his friends in the government of Saudi Arabia can continue to fuel the radicalizations of Muslims across the planet, and as we've seen in the last few years, especially in Syria, with ISIS. Mr. Ellison's contribution to Islamist radicalization in America I'll get to in a bit further, but I think first we need to understand this identity politic and how does a young Keith Ellison started off as an attorney and then as a spokesperson for who? One of the most vicious anti-Semites in America, Louis Farrakhan. 
So through the nation of Islam, a, a separatist group based in a belief that is deeply, I believe, anti-American, believing that they had a nation that needed to be formed within as a result of antipathy towards the nation in which they lived. And he will tell you that after, I think, 10 years as a spokesperson, he abandoned that ideology and became a Sunni Muslim. Fine. I'll take him at his word. But since then, he didn't adopt Sufi Islamic spiritual practices of a more moderate, westernized Islam. He ended up becoming the mouthpiece for the Islamic Society of North America, adopting a penchant to want to raise funds for the Council on American Islamic Relations, groups that believe that our faith community is simply an identity, a race, that any criticism of the Islamic Society of North America is a criticism of all Muslims. Any criticism of the Council on American Islamic Relations is a criticism of all of Islam, and thus they perpetrate the word Islamophobia or Islamophobe against anyone who criticizes them. That's identity politic. That is the racialization of Islam. And who better to become the face of the identity politic of American Islam than Keith Ellison, a man trained in how to use identity politics in a racial way, in a way that suppresses the opinions of your enemies, so that they appear to be bigots when in fact you avoid addressing the message, addressing the ideas that are in front of you. And unfortunately now with the appointment pending, perhaps he won't be selected, but with the appointment pending of Congressman Ellison, I think we are going to see a dissension even deeper into a Black Lives Matter type Democratic Party into a party that looks at being Muslim as simply a race identity. Islam is not a race, it's an idea. An idea, by the way, that includes ideas loathe to the Democratic Party. Misogyny, where women are separated. Penalties for homosexuality that include death by hanging from cranes in Iran by being thrown off cliffs. Societies in which women can't drive like Saudi Arabia that Ellison apologizes for. Maybe you'll find a letter in which he was critical asking for the release, kind release of a few prisoners of Saudi Arabia. But but please find for me if you can. Just look. See if you can find any criticism from Keith Ellison on Wahhabism of the radicalization that Saudi Arabia is committed to across the planet. See if he supported identifying Saudi Arabia's ideology as radicalizing Muslims around the planet. When I confronted him, I debated him in the House. I was invited by other members, and he was invited to my briefing. And ultimately, we engaged in a uh, brief debate uh, for around 20, 30 minutes. Uh, he spoke first and said, Basically, that, and it's online, you can see it at the Investigative Project or at our website at AIFD TV. Just look up the uh, series of uh, videos that uh, I debated Jasser versus Ellison. And, you know, you'll find that Ellison's response was not to look at any of the substance. He actually said, I don't know what political Islam is. Jasser made it up. It doesn't exist. There's Islam, and that's it, and it's not political. Talk about denial. He he makes alcoholism look mild compared in its denial. There's clear denial there of his denial, his inability to articulate the fact that Islamism, political Islam, the Islamic State existed. And I said that in 2009, long before ISIS ever existed. And now we know ISIS isn't the only Islamic State We've got the Islamic Republic of Iran, Pakistan, all of the Sharia states of the OIC are all based in Islamic jurisprudence that needs to be reformed. But he didn't admit that. He called me out as the Islamic Uncle Tom 
Blacks, he said, are familiar with people who would see, seek to ingratiate themselves with powerful people in the white community and would there then turn on them and the rest of us and give license to attack us all. He argued that African Americans are criminally inclined. They're all in gangs. They're all on welfare, unquote. Black people who say stuff like this, he said, exist, but what they really are trying to do is win themselves individual benefit at the expense of everyone else, unquote. I don't know you well enough to know that's what you're doing, Ellison told me, but I must admit that when I heard you speaking, that's what I thought of. Muslims must stand against extremist members of their faith, Congressman Ellison told me in 2009 publicly in front of multiple members of Congress in the briefing. But he seemed more threatened by my comments than he is by radicals. He said, quote, is somebody now going to snatch my 13-year-old daughter's hijab off calling her a horrible name, spit on her because of something that you said, Dr. Jasser? I worry about that, he added. This is the state of affairs in the American Muslim community. The man with the highest ranking in government as a Muslim, with one of the largest perches, podiums, platforms to speak, has instead used it to garner funding for the Saudis, to take a trip that was analyzed and looked at by the House Ethics Committee, paid for trip that he considered his pilgrimage to Mecca, paid for by the Muslim American Society. By the way, he may want to look into the theology of having your pilgrimage paid by somebody else, but that's between him and God. But that trip, Muslim American Society, I'd ask you to look at a report in the Chicago Tribune on how the MAS, a report, a series called A Rare Look Inside the Secret of Muslim Brotherhood in America ran in the Tribune, not a bastion of conservatism, right-wing conspiracy theories, or whatever anybody thinks about certain media entities. This was in the Tribune, with one of the authors being Muslim, who did undercover work at the Bridgeview Mosque and other mosques in the Chicago area, showing that a lot of Hamas fundraising, a Brotherhood terror outfit in the Palestinian areas, and the MAS was the deep network of the Muslim Brotherhood in America. And Ellison is deeply connected to to that and traveled to Mecca on their dime and then underwent house ethics review as a result of that. Eight months after his return, he faced an ethics review of it, and he said he wasn't privy of the internal workings of the organization, the outfit, the Muslim American Society that paid for his trip. But he said, why should I waive a right that's courted to me under the rules? Tax records show that the MAS in Minnesota received nearly something like $900,000 in taxpayer money from 06 to 07 from a rental arrangement for Tariq Ibn Ziyad Academy, Tiza Academy, that later ended up having significant legal trouble because of mixture of religion and state issues that violated a lot of its mandates of receiving tax money. The man who accompanied Ellison to Mecca, Esed Zaman, is an executive director of the Tiza School, a political contributor of Ellison's, and was president of the MAS until August when his Mecca trip was planned. The ACLU had sued Tiza and probed for allegedly promoting Islam which would violate the church and state separation. The story goes on that in 2011, I testified to Congress for Congressman Chairman Peter King at the time of the Homeland Security Committee, along with Abdul Razak Bihi, a Somali-American, and Melvin Bledsoe. And Ellison went off on a tirade when those names were released that we were going to be the three people testifying. And he proceeded in a character assassination of us as witnesses. And the fact that we were Muslim didn't seem to matter to him. It was unbecoming 
And the fact was that then he demanded that he be able to testify in his own panel, and he went on a tear-jerking, choking-back-the-tears tirade, talking about Muhammad Hamdani and other stories that many Americans had heard, but he co-opted for his own exploitation, for his identity politic, and that became the story of the hearings, was his tears and his drama of the victimization of a sitting congressman who represents over half a million folks in Minneapolis area that he seemed to care less about than he does his own political motives as a the American Muslim poster child. Over and over it's the same story. Mr. Ellison rearing his head in order to promote the victimization identity politic while smearing any Muslims that talk about reform. I followed my testimony with a letter to him in which I asked him specifically about all of the lies that he's been perpetrating against me. He gave a speech, for example, in Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, to a group of about a thousand Muslims. I don't know if he knew it was being taped or not, but we got a transcript of it from the investigative project. And basically... He said that when I went to do a panel at Drake Law University, his son was there and had been rejected from being on the panel, which was completely fabricated, complete lie. His son approached me after the panel was done. He was not invited to be on the panel. Stanley Richards was quoted by IPT as um, verifying that that was true. There were five or six Muslims on the panel included a cardiologist, the head of the mosque in in, uh, the Des Moines area, and a number of others. It was a fascinating debate that we had about the responsibility of American Muslims to fight political Islam. And I had a cordial conversation with his son, Isaiah, but certainly he was not invited nor kicked off, so his father fabricated that story. He then told the group in Michigan that... Uh, I was uh, doing this to, he told the group in Michigan, he said that he had gotten to know me and he had debated me in the past and that during the October 2009 debate and briefing on political Islam, the Minnesota congressman slandered me as a bigot seeking to censor Islamists. That's what he told that group, was that I was a bigot that just wanted to censor other Muslims or people I disagreed with. He said, I think you give people license for bigotry. I think you want to engage in nothing less than Muslim hating, really love you because you give them the freedom to do that. When we come back, Let's look at some of the Muslim reform issues and how absent Congressman Ellison has been and what would happen under a DNC under his lead. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. Thank you for joining me this week. You know, I wanted to take a deep dive this week into what a DNC would look like run by Keith Ellison. What would American political landscape look like being polarized more now being run by a congressman who is sympathetic, deeply sympathetic to the Islamist movement, 
domestically and globally. And I'm very concerned. I think that the Black Lives Matter movement, the riots after the Trump election, uh, many of these types of reactions by uh, those who prefer to stoke fear, prefer to polarize America rather than figuring out the way forward for us to deal with issues rather than emotions, with cognition rather than viscerality. But no, I think what's going to happen is the DNC is going to embrace its inner radicalism. The DNC is going to allow the talking points of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation Lobby, the OIC lobby, which includes countries like Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and others that we know filled the coffers of the Clinton Foundation. And we know brotherhood organizations, brotherhood-affiliated or sympathetic organizations that Congressman Ellison seems to love raising money for. By the way, look it up and see how many fundraisers for the Council on American-Islamic Relations, a group that is still persona non grata by the FBI because of its inability to condemn Hamas, a group that the FBI branches across the country are forbidden formally from communicating with because of their inability to condemn Hamas as a terrorist organization and among a network of unindicted co-conspirators that includes a large network of Islamist groups. And, you know, listen, membership in those groups or not, the bottom line is those groups are part of the Islamist ideological machinery. They believe that where Muslims are a majority, they should be Islamic law. Does that make them un-American? Does that make them trying to destroy the Constitution? No, this isn't a conspiracy theory. It's a reality that they wouldn't do that in America. Muslims are barely 1% of the population. But in Egypt, the revolution was hijacked by the Brotherhood, and many American Muslims helped the Brotherhood leadership put into place Islamic law. In Qatar, Al Jazeera has some Americans working. They were working for its network here in America. Al Jazeera was proven on WikiLeaks to have over 90% Muslim Brotherhood adherents. In Saudi Arabia, it's not Muslim Brotherhood, but it's Salafi Islamist ideology that believes in Islamic State, Sharia State supremacism. So these are not conspiracy theories, but the nuances have to be appreciated, which is that these folks don't understand, or rather they do understand that they, they're not going to implement this in America, but they certainly treat the mosque communities, the communities they control through a majority vote with the misogyny, with the medieval interpretations of Sharia that they can get away with in the insular in the insularity of some of the communities. But a DNC run by a Congressman Ellison, I think, will become very dangerous. I think it'll it'll not only be influenced by even more fear mongering. I mean the the fear mongering since the election of Mr. Trump, and as you know, I've had my problems with him. I did not support his election, his candidacy. But now that he's won, I will support my president where I can and help my country where I can. And yes, I'm in favor of more vetting of refugees, a pause on immigration until we can understand how to vet against Islamism. And you know what? When Congressman Ellison got a security clearance and was going to be on the Intel Committee, I had a major problem with that. Because, you know, listen, the people in Minnesota... That elected him, more power to them. That's who they want, that's fine. But when he's going to start getting national secrets, I would hope a top-secret clearance doesn't include just having been elected to represent one district. I hope that that would include a vetting against sympathies for political Islam, an Islamic state mentality, a Sharia mentality versus a secular country, a secular constitution. I would hope that our Muslim reform movement declaration, you know, we've talked about that before here. 
I sent it to the congressman's office. We've sent it to all the Islamic groups he raises money for. And we've gotten no response. It's a two-page declaration. It says that those of us who wrote this and put it together reject violent jihad. We reject the misogyny of Islamism and instead believe in the equality of men and women. We reject hadood punishments, corporal punishments of the severing of hands and all these other aspects. In fact, we reject any institutionalization of Sharia and instead believe Sharia is only applicable to us personally through prayer laws, dietary laws, and other personal aspects of pietistic Islam. But in public law and institutional governance, it should be based in reason, in secular thinking, not in the institution of clerical interpretations. The declaration goes on that we reject the caliphate. We reject not only ISIS, but all Islamic states. So, this is the declaration that we will put out. We said we reject blasphemy laws of any kind, that ideas do not have rights human beings do. So therefore, we reject the term Islamophobia. Yes, bigotry against Muslims we reject. That's bigotry against human beings. But phobia against Islam or religion? It's an idea. It doesn't have any rights. Will Mr. Ellison sign that? And if he does, I think I wouldn't have any problem with him being on an on a intel committee. So, you know, listen, this entire issue is not about my problem. I'm a devout Muslim. I've fought against many on the right and the left about demonizing all of Muslims. In fact, they need you need, everyone needs reformist Muslims that love our faith and do this out of tough love in, in order to defeat theocratic Islam, no different than the Founding Fathers did. But I do not believe that Islamism is irrelevant. It is relevant. And, you know, listen, I, I, I don't, this is not just about Ellison being a liberal and I'm a conservative. You know, there's this uh, Sabah Ahmad that runs the Republican Muslim Coalition. She's never condemned Sharia's position on gays. She's never condemned the current Sharia position on equality of men and women, which needs reform, which needs modernization. When you're talking about established schools of thought in Islam, medhebs, these things are ignored. So, if by some crazy freak of nature, Sabah Ahmed becomes a congresswoman, I would protest that severely. Uh, Andrew Herod has a couple pieces about some of her belief systems and how entwined they are with some of the Wahhabi beliefs and how much of a defender she is of some of those petro-Islamic beliefs and states. So I don't care if she claims to have quote-unquote family values as she describes it and claims to be a Republican. That's not what I understand to be Republicanism, and it's certainly not conservatism and liberty. So this is not about left versus right. This is about defining Islamism and the threat that it poses. A member of Congress should be able to identify the Muslim reform movement as a solution and political Islamist groups as the problem, as the radicalizers. He should be able to identify the radicalization pathway and not believe that radical Muslims just self-combust. And if the head of the Democratic Party and its platform is going to be an Islamist apologist, in some ways, I think there's a silver lining. Now, I know that sounds contradictory, but I will tell you there's a silver lining there because either he will expose all of the problems and become the face of the obvious frontal issue that we need to deal with, or I will lose the debate and the Islamists will simply win. But at least we're having the battle. When you come back, let's look at 
the identity politic, how to defeat this, how to go about a more mature discussion with the left about the problems of political Islam. This is Zudi Jasser, and I'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stu. Courts are going to eliminate. If you find drug dealers that are illegal immigrants, of course you're going to either put them in. I mean, a drug dealer that's an American citizen goes that's to jail. Always been it's our always policy, been the policy. By the way, um, it was a policy under Obama, and that's why he deported people. Yeah. They, they were deporting criminally illegals. They right. didn't deport these wonderful people that they always talk about. That care about that. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to our last segment this week of Reform This. We're taking a deep dive into the issue of Congressman Ellison becoming the head of the DNC and what it means for political Islam, the defeat of the ideology of Islamism, and the subjugation of American Muslims under the banner of an identity movement of a racialization of Islam rather than a poignant defense of religious freedom and critical thinking inside the House of Islam and the need to reform. It's a step backwards. It's interesting. In the Islamic Society of North America, they had a piece that was entitled Ellison Chides Hatemonger. Ellison Chides Hatemonger with a picture of Congressman Ellison. And basically it said, at Capitol Hill Forum, Congressman Keith Ellison chided Phoenix physician Dr. Zudi Jasser of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, who had come to brief members of Congress on the dangers poised by political Islam. Responding to Jasser's allegations, Ellison stated, I think you give people license for bigotry, on and on, as I said. So here you have the the core arm of the Islamist movement in America putting on page two of its national magazine describing me as a hate monger, thanks to Congressman Ellison. So this is who the DNC wants to have running its operation in the United States of America. It's a long struggle ahead of us as Muslims to defeat political Islam. And when Ellison came to Phoenix, Arizona... Congressman Trent Franks, Congressman John Shattuck, and Senator John Kyle wrote a letter asking him not to raise money for the Council on American-Islamic Relations, especially poignant coming from Congressman John Kyle, who had been the one a few years earlier to ask the FBI to explain why it continued to communicate with the Council. And in the response, they said they will not communicate any longer until they've answered the question about Hamas. And that is why in the trial of the Holy Land Foundation, they explained that not only are they an unindicted co-conspirator, but they're problematic because of that position. He did not respond to that letter. He ignored it. He came and raised money raised tens of thousands of dollars for the CARE chapter here in Arizona and has gone on to do 20, 30 other chapter fundraising for an organization that has deep ties to foreign Islamic governments, to apologetics. It has, in a couple of years, been shown to do more foreign interviews on press TV, Iranian television, than it does on Western television. The list goes on. I find CARE an offensive organization and one of the root causes of radicalization. Maybe not the final steps that are about violence, but the early steps, the pool in which the radicals swim is one that highlights victimization, highlights sort of the separatism, and that's what Mr. Ellison epitomizes. You know, in the end here, I wanted to reflect a little that... 
I think one of the testimonies to character is our ability to disagree with some of the people that we work the closest with and to do so publicly with transparency. Mr. Ellison, I think because of his political leanings and his position in the Democratic Party now, has attracted favor with some of the liberals and coalitions that I have worked with. Now, I've never been on a coalition with uh, Ershad Manji, and that was her choice not to do so. But I do respect a lot of her work that she's done for women's rights in her Moral Courage Project and for calling out the reforms that need to be made. But yet, she did a sit-down, multiple sit-downs and and uh, endorsements of Mr. Ellison's work, and I think that's very problematic because it avoids the root cause. It avoids the cause and the problems of Islamism. And this week, good friends at the Quilliam Foundation, I know Majid Nawaz isn't there but anymore, my understanding, but uh, he still is their leader, and he came out with a full-throated defense of Mr. Ellison and the Daily Beast. Now, we obviously have deep, deep agreement with Quilliam on the focus on political Islam, Islamism, and the need to reform, and our Muslim Reform Movement Declaration had a lot of thanks at the hard work of Imam Osama Hassan, who is a wonderful human being. But this endorsement of Ellison and this peace in the Daily Beast, uh, I just don't get. Now, maybe they're unaware of the long history. I would hope that uh, they'd go back and look at a lot of my writings at National Review, at um, speeches, uh, the series of debates I did with Ellison, the years of entanglement, the demonstration of his fundraising for Islamist arms across the country, his apologetics against reformers, his apologetics for Islamism, his inability to condemn Iran, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, his anti-Israel positions, on and on. So we'll have a respectful disagreement with Majid Nawaz on this one. I hope he goes back and amends and corrects his remarks, and if he proves to me that Mr. Ellison is not an Islamist, that Mr. Ellison should have security clearances, and that somehow I should trust him in the war for the protection of national security against the threat of political Islam, then I will amend and correct my remarks. Uh, This is what friends do. This is what patriots do. Now, they did this from across the pond, so uh, I think I am a little closer to the issue here in the United States. But uh, in all fairness, I was uh, also critical of the new mayor of London uh, for some of his identity politic, but I obviously did not have as deep an understanding as I do of Mr. Ellison, but I did look at some of the cases and otherwise, and I have to tell you that Mr. Majid's criticism of the mayor was also tepid, but probably a little stronger than it was of Ellison. And I think it should have been reversed, though I in no way endorsed the London mayor. I have significant concerns, and we'll see how that turns out. I do think we have a lot of work to do. We'll have our differences. Uh, I think, as I said, at the end of the day, it may be a silver lining for the DNC to embrace its inner radicalism to embrace Islam as an identity movement rather than as an idea. Because when it does that, it will expose constantly. Every time Ellison speaks, he can't help when he gets on Muslim issues to to expose the sheer fallacy of the ideology of Islamism, his denial of its existence, his denial of the threat of petro-Islam globally does nothing but take credibility away from the causes that he supports. So, I think eventually the silver lining is that he will bring to the forefront a constant reminder. It'll be harder 
to push Islamism into the periphery when the primary fundraiser for Islamism domestically is the head of the Democratic National Committee. So from a utilitarian perspective, this may be good for our movement. From a utilitarian perspective, it may be good to highlight who the ideological antagonists are in this battle. From a practical perspective, though, it'll continue to marginalize, as Ellison will likely marginalize Democrats that are reformists, that are anti-Islamists, that share the anti-Islamist values of equality of men and women, anti-jihadism, anti-blasphemy laws, anti-apostasy laws, anti-caliphism, anti-ISIS, anti-Islamic state movements. All these things are important part of reform. I hope Congressman Ellison joins us in in condemning the idea that somehow homeland security needs to be against violent extremism, but rather should be countering violent Islamism. But I'm not holding my breath. I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. Thanks for taking this deep dive with me this week on Congressman Ellison. The next few weeks will show if he becomes the DNC chair. This podcast will be archived into the future so that we can look back and see if he turned out to be a great reformer against political Islam and a promoter of liberty, of freedom, of our Constitution above Islamic State concepts, then I will stand corrected. If he doesn't, and he tries to continue to malign and slander and libel Muslims who are loving our faith, who are are treating our community with a tough love in order to counter Islamist movements and, and stop the fundraising for the propagation of apologetics of other foreign countries that are theocracies and domestic movements that are apologists for theocracy, then it'll be known that I warned the DNC and our country of what comes. This is Udi Jasser. Thank you, as always, for joining me in breaching that divide between Islamism and Americanism on the Blaze Radio Network. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.